Well, good morning, Gospel City Church. So glad that you're in the house of the Lord today, and uh, what an awesome time uh, worshiping and remembering with you. Go ahead and open your Bibles. Hopefully you have those, and you can open to Genesis chapter 6 today, and we're going to start in verse 9, but then we're going to take a large portion. We're going to get all the way through chapter 7 today as we look at Noah and the flood and I, I wanted to just say last week I was so thankful for Pastor Brent preaching God's word and I was thankful for his humble exposition of the Bible. Uh, he did a great job modeling something for us, keeping the main thing, the main thing in scripture. And, and Genesis 6, 1 through 8, there's a lot of hard stuff in that passage and some of the things that often jump out and get debated are the sons of God and the daughters of men and the Nephilim. And, and Brent did a good job of humbly exposing the things that we can know, but not telling us what we don't know. And he, he zeroed in on what should get far more attention in those eight verses. And that's verse five and six. When the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. How tragic is that? What a devastating verse in the Bible. Just five chapters after we gloried in the, the divine creation of God. God breathing Life into existence out of nothing. Five chapters later, regretting that he had made mankind. And today's passage, though a familiar narrative to many, gives us a first glimpse of God's anger and wrath poured out on sinful mankind. So here's the big idea that I want to go after in our time together. The wrath of God is coming and you can only be saved one way. The wrath of God is coming and you can only be saved one way. Here's what I want to do. I want to just read uh, the remains of chapter 6 to start this service as we give our attention to God's word. And then we'll kind of go through chapter 7 when we get to it this morning. But let's look together at Genesis 6 verse 9 and hear the word of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to the cubit above. And set a door of the ark on its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Verse 17. For behold... I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the, the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. 
And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning and we thank you for the opportunity as the people of God to worship you on the first day of the week, to exalt you in your rightful place, to say along with the angels and the saints, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to remember the cross of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus died on a cross in our place as a substitute for our sins. Your innocent blood was shed so that we might have life today. Lord, we thank you for the spirit of God that indwells us as believers, that illuminates to our eyes and to our hearts the word of God. And Lord, as we approach this familiar narrative, this historical moment in the history of mankind, would you give us fresh eyes today to see all that you would have us to see? Would you open our ears to hear and be challenged? Would you help us? Would you renew us? Would you transform us by the power of your word? In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Now i got five observations from this text today, and the first is this, Noah was a righteous man. Noah was a righteous man. If you would look at verse 9, it says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generations, and Noah walked with God. So as Genesis moves into now the third section of generations. You remember the generations comments are kind of how we move along in the different sections in Genesis 1 through 11. We're now in the third generations of this remarkable person. In verse 8, it said, in a world that was described as only evil continually, we learned in verse 8 that Noah found favor in the eyes of God. That is something that all of us should aspire to, to have. Lord, Lord, would we find favor in your eyes? Lord, would you look upon me and, and not see the wickedness and the deceitfulness of my heart? But would you find favor with your servant? It reminded me of a hymn this week that I love. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Because our lives are meant to look different than the rest of the world. And for some reason, God saw favor in his servant Noah. And it says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And he walked with God. And he had sons and he had a family whom he pointed to God. And what an incredible thing to be said about a man, especially in a day where all flesh was corrupt and violence filled the earth and everyone was only evil continually. So let's break apart a few of the words that God uses about Noah. He was a righteous man. It means he was morally right and virtuous. 
He was very good or excellent. Biblical righteousness can only be measured according to God's righteousness. He is the standard. So someone who is righteous by the Bible's standard is someone who cares about God's definition of right and wrong. You care about what God has asked you not to do and how God has asked you to live. 1 John 2, 29 says, If you know that he is righteous, God, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So to practice the righteousness of God is to be born of God. Not only was Noah a righteous man, but he was a blameless man. It describes holiness to a degree. Obviously, all of our natures testify that we fall short of the glory of God, but being blameless in Scripture describes walking according to God's law. And remember, God's law, it's been stamped in the Imago Dei, the image of God that we are created in. It's deep within us, it's running through our veins, and yet it has been massively marred by sin. But Psalm 119.1 proclaims, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Or Proverbs 2 verse 7 says, He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. Not only was Noah living righteously, not only was he living a blameless and holy life, but it says that he walked with God. Genesis chapter 2 We saw Adam and Eve walking in the perfection of the garden with God. Now we see Noah walking with God. Noah is walking with God thousands of years after sin had broken the perfection of the world. And even in this, this relationship that Noah has with Elohim, we see the grace of God on display that God still meets with sinners. God still meets and wants to walk with broken people. And all of these descriptors of Noah should cause you to wonder if God sees you this way. Are you living for the righteousness of Christ? Are you blameless in the sense that you seek to obey the word of God in all things? Are you walking with God or are you walking in the way of the world? I couldn't help this week but think of Psalm 1, and I got the opportunity to speak to some friends at Notre Dame, and I talked through Psalm 1 and the blessed man. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's Noah to a degree. As everybody's sitting in the seat of scoffers, as everybody's going their own direction, As everybody's delighting in everything that this world has to throw at them, Noah delighted in the law of the Lord. Not only was Noah a man of righteousness, the Bible calls him a herald of righteousness. Peter, in 2 Peter 2, verse 5, it says this, God preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon Noah the world of the ungodly. So a herald is someone who's proclaiming, someone who is preaching, someone who is boldly proclaiming the deeds of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, all that Christ could do, the message of salvation. And Noah was that man. 
In a world that was only evil continually, Noah would stand up and he would proclaim the righteousness of God. And I'm sure he was mocked for it. I'm sure he was scoffed at. I'm sure he was called a foolish man. As the whole world was doing what the world does, Noah was proclaiming the righteousness of Christ because Noah was living his life to make God's way known in an evil world. It's a challenge to all of us. What about us? What about you? You're surrounded by people that want nothing to do with the God of glory. Are you a man or woman of righteousness proclaiming the righteousness of Christ, heralding the righteousness of Christ in a lost world? Leads us to the second observation that humans completely corrupted the earth. Humanity was corrupt. Humanity was sinful. All flesh was wicked, and it completely corrupted the earth. Look at verse 11. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. So in God's relationship with Noah, he tells Noah about his plan to destroy the wonderful, beautiful earth that he had created. Now just think back and compare a few verses with me. Let me read them to you. Genesis 1 verse 2, the second verse in the Bible. God in his grace zeroed in on planet earth and it said the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then you get to the end of Genesis chapter 1, and in verse 31, it says, God saw everything that he had made. So you had this void and and formless planet, nothing on it. And God, Elohim, in his power, breathes the world into existence in six days. And at the end of the six days, God says, behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. And now you get to Genesis 6, 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. About 1,600 years since the perfection of the garden possibly 750 million humans on planet Earth, give or take. Some have said over a billion people on planet Earth at this time. God decides to decreate creation. It was so far from the original design, the original plan to exude his glory and display his image across the earth. And so God decides the most just thing he could do is decreate everything, wipe everything out from the face of the planet. Verse 12, God saw the earth. Behold, it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. I have determined to make an end of all flesh because the flesh of human beings, sinful man, had corrupted it. And and the Bible always puts the blame for sin on humanity. Understand that. Uh, the Bible is always holding man accountable 
for the sin of the world. He doesn't blame it on Satan, doesn't blame it on the demons, doesn't blame it on the corruption or the course of this world. We are sinful. Man is sinful. And that's why at the heart of the gospel, which we talk about all the time, we have to come to grips with the fact that man is sinful. The earth was corrupt because all flesh corrupted it. The flesh that was created to image God was now imaging violence and death. The flesh that was created to worship God was worshiping their own accomplishments and their own heroes, men of war, the Nephilim. The flesh that was created to give its fullest expression in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman was now perverse and abusive and self-indulgent and demonic. And so part of understanding the gospel is finding your identity in it, your depravity in it. You must realize that apart from finding favor in the eyes of a good and gracious God, you are dirty, you are rotten, you are a sinner, you are broken, you are idolatrous, you are licentious, you are an enemy of God. Romans 3 says it best, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And then it just keeps on going. And the truth that this is where we find ourselves apart from God testifies to the reality that the majority of humanity either doesn't care about righteousness The majority of humanity is trying to earn their way to an afterlife through the wrong God, which is where all of our religions come from because humanity is trying to earn some sort of deity and maybe there is something beyond this life and so I have to live my life a certain way so that I can get up to my God. Or sadly, many think they're okay and have plenty of time to work it out. The majority of the world in Noah's day was probably right there. Matthew chapter 24 says this in verse 38, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. See, the world's motto, same then as it is today. Eat, drink, and be merry. God's response is still the same today as it was then. Look in Genesis 6, verse 3 from last week. It says, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Other versions say, My, my spirit will not strive with wicked man forever. In Genesis 6, God would be slow to anger, though his anger was kindled. I don't know what you do whenever your anger is kindled. Usually for me, it just explodes out. God waited 120 years from his regret. That is some slow anger. God is a patient God. God is a a, a loving and gracious God. And his striving with them was seen every day of those 120 years as he rose the sun and as the sun set 
And as he breathed life into the nostrils, into the, into the lungs of wicked human beings who woke up and they breathed and they lived another day. In redeeming Noah, God's grace was seen. In Noah, being a herald of righteousness, God's grace was seen. And even in the preparation to decreate the world, God gave the gracious plan of salvation. And that leads to the third observation of the text. God gave a very specific rescue plan. God gave a very specific rescue plan. Now, let's look in verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. So it's at this point, I'm tracking it to this point, right? I'm thinking Noah walks with God and he's having his morning coffee and he's having conversation with God and he's like, yes, God, thank you. I am righteous and I am your son and I will follow you and the world is wicked and wow, that sounds crazy that you're going to wipe it out, but thank you for your grace of me. And he takes a drink of coffee and God says, build an ark of gopher wood and he chokes on the coffee and he says, I beg your pardon? Excuse me, God, what, what is an ark? How am I going to get that much gopher wood? You want me to build a giant box? Uh, uh, what, what are you talking about? And God says, this is how you are to make it. So God starts to give these very specific plans in the midst of all of his anger. I don't know if you've been to Kentucky, but I guess the ark is in Kentucky. Uh, I, I know lots of you have been because I, I, I Facebook searched ark encounter and I saw so many of your families standing in front of the ark. Here's a picture of the ark at the ark encounter on the screen. I have yet to to get there to see it Uh, but that is a massive boat, a massive box and uh, James actually told me before the service that they had to sue because of of water damage on the ark last year or something like that. So uh, the, the modern ark wasn't safe from the rainstorms, but the real ark was saved from the flood. But that is a, that is a big boat. And, and, and God says to make it 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. So let me just give you a little bit of that. Cubits equals 18 inches. So 300 cubits long, it's 510 feet long. That's like one and a half football fields long. Or you could put three NASA space shuttles on the roof of this thing, nose to tail. Uh, Its height was 30 cubits, so it's the size of a modern four-story house. Plenty of space for the three decks. If you look at verse 16, make a roof for the ark and finish it to the cubit above and set a door of the ark on its side. So you got this one door on the side of the ark so that people could get in and the animals eventually will see. Make with it a lower and second and third deck. So plenty of height for the third and second and, and first deck in the boat. And it could hold the equivalent of 450 standard semi-trucks. So the standard livestock trailer can hold 250 sheep. Uh, This ark could have held 112,500 sheep. So just a massive box in the middle of the desert, not familiar with a flood, haven't seen a lot of water in a long time, at least in a non-manageable way. Pretty crazy. You get to verse 17 in your Bible. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So God, this is going to take me literally forever to build this boat. How am I even going to find that much gopher wood? Where is the gopher wood? 
Where are the gophers? How will they get the wood? <laughs> and, and, and Noah, a herald of righteousness, saying that this is God's plan, you can imagine the ridicule that this would stir up in a society, in a culture. There's old man Noah, once again, building his box in the middle of the desert. Oh, you heard that from God, did you? You're crazy, Noah. Verse 18, God says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Verse 19, And the every living thing of all flesh. So at this point, Noah's maybe like, Okay, I can build a box. And then God says, You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds. Of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come with you so that you can keep them alive. God, you want me to bring animals on this giant boat? How am I going to get animals? How am I going to get two of every animal? In verse 21, also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Sounds crazy, sounds wild, but God is a gracious God. And he gives this very specific plan. And as he's about to decreate the earth, he says to mankind whom he told to have dominion over the animals and over the plants and take all of the creation, all of the, the, the plant and vegetation for food, God says, hey, gather it up, just what you need, bring it onto this Mechanism, this box that's going to be the salvation from the flood that I'm about to bring. Bring some animals. I will repopulate the earth. Rather than wipe it all out, I will save you and your family. That word covenant in verse 18, it's God's first use of, use of the word. And it indicates that Noah would not only survive, but he would carry forward the promise of God from Genesis 3.15. Noah, he was not the seed of the woman, but from the line of Noah would come the son who would crush the head of the serpent. And from Noah would come another specific man with another specific rescue plan. And so God in his grace was preserving, God in his grace was saving, God in his grace was providing a way for obedience and righteousness but many wanted nothing to do with God's plan and God's way. Leads to the fourth observation, a couple points of application to close this. Number four, obedience to God's plan saves. Obedience to God's plan saves. After this wild telling of what Noah and his family are to build in the middle of a drought or in the middle of a floodless place. Look at verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Not some. Not most of what God commanded. It doesn't say that Noah did most of it. God, I, I, I'm going to shorten this by 50 cubits because I ran out of gopher wood. Noah did all that God commanded him. And this is what obedience looks like. This is what faithfulness to God and his word looks like. 
Later in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 11, Noah is commended for his faith. It says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah's reverence of God caused him to worship God. Noah's fear of God caused him to obey God. Noah's faith in God caused him to do all that God commanded, and he did so between the ages of 500 and 600 years old for 75 years, give or take some time. I mean, at that time, you'd want to lay down in your life. Noah is building a box for a century Amidst the people that wanted nothing to do with God. Now let's keep reading in Genesis chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark. So chapter 6, fast forwards, chapter 7 to uh, days before the flood is about to come. This massive ark is built. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark and you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of of all clean animals and male and his mate and a pair of the animals that are not clean and a male and his mate and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also male and female to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth for in seven days I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground and again Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him because obedience to God's plan brings life. Verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. God is a good God. Uh, he, He wants generations worshiping him, generations praising him. Noah and his family through grace obeyed. Verse 8, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth, just as God said. Hey, I want two of every kind of animal to go onto the ark. How could that possibly be? How could Noah round up all of these animals? Remember, he's talking with Elohim, and this is Elohim's plan. And on day six, Elohim breathed animals into existence. Surely he could put the instinct in these animals that a storm was coming, get to shelter, and God helped them get to shelter. Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. So real quickly, just the 600th year, the second month on the 17th day. Why so specific? Because this is actual history. And as Moses is writing to the people of Israel, they're looking back. Yes, this actually happened. And and here we are all these years later now freed by a good and gracious God from the slavery that we had. God has always been working on behalf of his people. And all that water that went up above the Canopy on day two, it came crashing down whenever God commanded it to. In verse 12, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. 
On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered into the ark, they and every beast according to its kind and all of the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they, uh, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now, verse 16, massively important verse. Noah went in as God had commanded him. Are you living your life doing what God commands? And notice that last sentence, and the Lord shut him in. I've reflected on that short sentence this week so much, and it's a beautiful sentence. To be shut in by the Father himself is the guaranteed arrival to abundant life that triumphs over devastating death. This is the touch of the Father. This is Yahweh at his finest, at his most gracious. This is the intimate and intricate work of God the Father, as Noah and his family enter obediently through the one door of the ark, God shuts them in and saves them from the wrath that is to come. So to disobey God would have literally been to miss the boat. But because Noah obeyed everything that the Lord had commanded, he and his family were shut in by a good and gracious God. They were shut in to God's very specific rescue plan. And the flood waters could not penetrate the ark that was built to the specific dimensions that God had commanded. And not only did obedience to God's word bring joy, but it brought life. And the same is true for us today. So if obedience to God's plan brings life, then number five this morning is this disobedience to God's plan brings death. Disobedience to God's plan brings death. And I just want you to catch the sober reality of verse 17 through 24 in chapter 7. Many of us grew up seeing Noah's Ark plastered on our Sunday school wall, right? And you had the hippo and the giraffe with a giant smile on their face as Noah was standing there. And our kids played with the little figurines. What didn't come with those sets were the massive amount of dead bodies as the world became a graveyard under the wrath of God. Verse 17, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts of the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing. That was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens were, they were blotted 
out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. And we have the most devastating picture of the wrath of God that comes against the sin of human flesh, the sin of mankind. And many want to look at the story of Noah and say, that's a terrible story. How could you follow a God that would wipe out an entire planet, that would flood an entire planet? And yet God was gracious all along the way, all along the years to preserve and to give his demands and to call people to righteousness and to call people to holiness. And yet the world, the people were only evil continually. One guy and his family doing what is right in God's eyes, walking with the Lord, trying to live a blameless life, by no means a perfect life. He was a herald of righteousness, proclaiming God gave him all those years to construct this boat. People could have got on the boat. Yet in our hearts is not a desire to please God, not a desire to follow God, not a desire to be shut in by God. It is a desire to do what is right in our own eyes. And if Noah's passage, if this passage, if this historical narrative of the flood does anything for us, it warns us of the wrath of God that is to come. We'll look into the next couple weeks that God plans to never flood the world again with water. But he does promise to come again. And just as his spirit would not strive with them forever and he gave them 120 years, no man knows the time or the hour when he will come again. But he will come again and his spirit will not strive forever. And so now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to turn and to run to safety. Disobedience to God's plan brings death. The wrath of God is coming, but there is only one way to be saved. And I hope that you see the massive parallels concerning our salvation today. All these years later, on the right side of the cross. Just reflect on this with me for a moment. God warned Noah, and Noah warned others that the wrath of God was coming. The Bible warns us today that the wrath of God is coming against all ungodliness. Just as Noah in his day and age, was wicked and perverse and continually evil, if you look at our society and culture today, you will find absolutely the same things. Many ridiculed Noah for his message of righteousness, and much of the world today mocks and rejects and laughs at God's means of salvation. But God gave a specific rescue plan consisting of a wooden floating vessel And 4,000 years later, God's specific rescue plan for humanity became a rugged wooden cross. And it was a Roman form of torture. How is that a rescue plan? Sounds crazy, maybe even crazier than an ark. But God found favor in Noah and commended Noah for his finite obedience. And yet from the line of Noah, God planned to send Jesus, who would be infinitely righteous and obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And God instructed Noah to put one door on the side of the ark for the obedient to enter through. And Jesus said in John 10 verse 9, I am the door. 
And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. God shut in Noah safely in the ark and God will shut in Christ all who call upon the name of the Lord and enter through Jesus who is the only door. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. And all who are in Christ, all who have been shut in to Jesus by the gracious and loving Father have been seated already with Christ in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1. You have been crowned. If you are shut in with Christ with steadfast love and mercy, Psalm 103, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, Psalm 23. God's wrath through the flood turned the world into a graveyard and God's wrath that will come by fire will devastatingly do the same thing only it will be the end. It will be too late. And all who have not bowed to Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of heaven and earth, will be separated from his presence forever. Death will not be the end, but an eternity in hell and condemnation. Only in the ark was Noah carried safely to dry land, and only in Christ can you escape the wrath of God that is to come and find hope beyond the grave? All those who are in the ark, all those who are in Christ can sing the old hymn, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory because it belongs to him alone. So this morning... The historical narrative, the familiar narrative of knowing the flood, it begs the question, are you in Christ today? Have you been shut in? Have you entered through the one door who is Jesus Christ? The Lord will not strive forever. And the thing about the flood, the thing about the one door, the thing about the ark, the person who was adamantly opposed to God and didn't want anything to do with religion, didn't want anything to do with the holiness of God or the righteousness of God or God's law. They were just as likely to be swept away by the wrath of God as the lukewarm person who stopped by the ark every day and what if Noah's right? They stopped by the ark every day as they walked, huh, that thing's continuing to be built. Noah's still preaching that same message. I wonder if, if a flood will ever come. I wonder if I should ever consider getting in the boat. The person who is around the spiritual things of God and yet never obediently enters through the one door who is Jesus, never confesses with their mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead and confesses him as Lord, they will be swept away in the wrath of God just as the unrighteous just as the person who wants nothing to do with God. God is slow to anger, but his anger is kindled. He will come again. Today is the day of salvation. Call upon the Lord who is mighty to save. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, how desperately we need you. 
Lord, I thank you that your grace shuts us in. And Lord, when we look at the contents of your word this morning, we're reminded that we have nothing good within us. And yet it's by your spirit that you draw us. It's by your spirit that you redeem us. It's by your spirit that just as you were going to recreate the world through your grace, you can recreate us through your grace. And so, Father, I pray in your sovereignty this morning that you would show us Christ, that you would show us the cross that we've remembered in communion today, and that all who have obediently entered through the person of Jesus Christ, I pray that we would celebrate, I pray that we would live in the freedom of having an identity that is seated with Christ on high for all of those who have yet to enter through the one door. For all of those who have yet to surrender their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Spirit, would you strive with them today? Spirit, would you open their heart today? Spirit, would you not let them rest today until they surrender, until they enter, until they are shut in by you, a gracious and mighty God? Do what only you can do to save. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.